Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being with me tonight and welcome to the resource room podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I can't wait to dive into our discussion about all things IEPs and paperwork. But first, will you please introduce yourself so that my listeners, my audience knows a little bit about you before we really dive into the meat and potatoes of our conversation? Sure. My name is Stephanie DeLessie. I am the teacher, author, IEP coach behind Mrs. D's Corner and the Intentional IEP. I taught in the traditional classroom setting for seven and a half, eight years. Um, I did resource, I did inclusion, I co-taught, I did self-contained. I was an instructional support team facilitator and I've taught in four different states and I've been certified in six different states and I've done like K to 12. So I've really ranged across a bunch of different stuff as we've moved all over the place. Girl, that is a lot. <laughs> short time. Like, it sounds like you should be like, I've taught for 30 years or something after that. <laughs> no, and I, you know, I wouldn't change my teaching experience for anything because I learned so much and it just, I just learned so much and I'm very appreciative for, for all of the experience that I've had over the last couple of years. That's really awesome. So what took you across the country or to so many different states? My husband's job, um, he's not in the military, but he works in the trucking industry and oh. in, like the corporate world. So they move us to different uh, places all over the United States. Well, it's great. You have a job that literally everyone needs. So you're yeah. good. You can find a job <laughs> anywhere. That's great. So let's dive into a little bit of IEPs. That's your jam. Yeah. That's what you're good yes. at. That's what lights you up. So my question is, so much of the time, especially in special ed as a new teacher, you're like, oh my gosh, the paperwork. What are some things that maybe you do, maybe even all year long, to set yourself up for success to get kind of, I, I don't know, all that paperwork under control? Yeah, so I actually am one of those teachers that loves the paperwork, and I know that I am the odd man out kind of when it comes to, I love writing IEPs. I love the data. I love all of it, even though it's a lot, like it is so much to handle. Um, but it took me a couple of years to really get a handle on all of it. And I actually came up with my own system, you know, having taught in all of these different states, different classrooms, I kind of took bits and pieces of everything and made my own system that really worked well for me. And I call it the IEP writing timeline. And it really starts at the beginning of the school year or when you get a student mid-year, you look at their IEP, right? So we know as special education teachers, as soon as we get a student, we look at their IEP. When's their due date? What are their goals? What are their accommodations? But for me, in keeping all of my paperwork 
in line and legal and not expired, the one thing that I do is I take their, their due date, when their annual due date is, and I put it on my calendar. And then what I do from there is I have this spreadsheet. So I'll put it on my account. I'm very paper pencil. So like it has to actually be written into the calendar or it will not happen. <laughs> Same. But to help me calculate all of these days out, which I'm going to explain, I put the date also into the spreadsheet that I have and it spits all these due dates out for me. So 45 days out from the IEP meeting due date, you know, I'm going to find common times for the IEP team to hold the meeting. And then 30 to 45 days out, this is when I'm sending out those teacher questionnaires, the parent questionnaires, starting those with students if applicable, and documenting any attempts to invite parents to the IEP meeting. And I say parents um, very loosely, it means the caregiver, the, care the guardian, whoever is the guardian caregiver over the child. So then 30 days, you're sending all those questionnaires out. You're getting input from the rest of the team. 14 days then. So for me, it was 14 days. That was what I found was the sweet spot for me is I'm sending home that draft IEP. And I know for some people, they're like, what is a draft IEP? And isn't that predetermination? And oh my gosh, like we write our IEPs at the IEP meeting. So let me backpedal a little bit. If you are writing IEPs at the IEP meeting, that is best case scenario. However, only 10% from the teachers that I surveyed are currently writing IEPs that way. So that means 90% of teachers, special education teachers and their teams are writing the IEP prior to the meeting. So that means that's 90% of those teams, those schools, of students that parents should be receiving that draft IEP. So what goes into this draft IEP and why is it not predetermination? So what's going into the draft IEP is your present levels and your proposed IEP goals. Nothing else is going into there because anything beyond that is predetermination of services. So why only those two things? The present levels is all data. There aren't any opinions in a present level. It's all data, evaluation results, input from the team, input from your observations, input from the parents, inputs from the students as applicable. It is all data, baseline data. And based on what you have in the present levels is where your IEP goals are going to come from. So your IEP goals aren't just being pulled out of thin air. You're not just predetermining them. The data is telling you what goals to be choosing. So that is what I recommend for sending home the draft IEP. And I send that home 14 days prior to the meeting. Why so early? Because not only does that give me time to send that home to the family and give them time to look it over, they can also send it back to me if they want to have like a pre-meeting prior to the IEP meeting to talk about anything. They have that time and we have that time together to do that. Um, but if you're not currently sending the draft IEP and you're like, oh my gosh, like I write the IEP a night or two before the meeting, start with three days. That really gives them time to read it sleep on it, reach out to you if needed, and then come to the IEP meeting and everybody's on the same table. There's no questions about what's in the present levels or you're saying Stephanie can do this, but this is what I'm seeing. You've already had those conversations because they know what's in the present levels and it's all based on data. So to continue on down the IEP writing timeline, you send it home 14 days, three if you're just starting that out. And if you need help with that, please reach out. I'm happy to help you with that. 
seven days, you're going to follow up with the parent. So no matter what, even if you're not sending the draft home 14 days prior, seven days, you still want to follow up. Hey, the IEP meeting is coming up. I'm going to be sending home a draft or I sent home the draft last week. Do you have any questions, concerns? Do you want, you know, any of to talk about anything X, Y, Z? You're also going to confirm the IEP meeting with them, make sure that they can still come and check that room availability. The room that you're going to be in for that meeting, make sure there's enough chairs in the room, make sure that all the technology is working. And you might do that like a day or two prior as well. And then the day before the meeting, that's when you're going to print everything because you never know, like maybe you have an IEP meeting at 8 a.m. You could come in and your computer's not going to work. The system is down. The printer's out of toner. So I always like to print it out the day before just because I can sleep well at night knowing the IEP is ready for the meeting and everything's ready to go for the next day. I agree 100%. And I'm going to have a huge confession. I hope it doesn't just make me look so bad. That's <laughs> why I print a draft. I never send it home. But I always print it for the purpose of I don't want to show up at a meeting and let's say technology isn't cooperated, cooperating with me. I still want to at least look like I was so prepared. Like, yeah. I, it's not that I just rolled out of bed this morning and decided, <laughs> oh, let's hold this meeting. You know what I mean? I like it to appear that I'm organized. And that honestly was me feeling like a real superstar with my draft. So yeah. I love why you're doing that. And also one thing that I wrote down just so I wouldn't forget it as you were talking is, you know, it's all based on data, what you're sending home in that draft. And that's not going to change in the meeting. You're not no. going to get there and be like, oh, well, suddenly Stephanie can do those things. No, <laughs> right. no. Like that is what your assessment or that's what your observations, none of those things are going to change so what is the harm in sending those things home ahead of time? Right. So uh, my question for you then is, does your IEP system, or obviously maybe it has varied depending on where you've been, does it generate a draft for you? So in my experience, I've used so many, like there are so many different systems out there. And even the school down the street can use a different IEP exactly. writing system than what you're using. Some of the systems will allow you to print a draft and it'll say draft on it. Some uh -huh. systems won't. So if your system that you're using to write IEPs is not allowing you, doesn't have the option to send a draft, copy and paste that into a Word document. You can easily put draft across the back of it. Or I've even made like my own draft stickers and I have them for free. I can send you the link to share with everyone. Yes. It just says proposed IEP draft on it so that parents know that it's a draft and it's not final. I love that idea. And then too, um, you know, you're just ready. You're prepared in advance. All is there. You literally have everything you need, whether the system makes it easy for you or not. Mine yeah. does, which I do like. Um, but I could see that was when you were talking about that. I'm like, what do teachers do if they don't have a fancy system <laughs> that does that? You know, and I almost feel like in this day and age, most people, probably do, but maybe that's a terrible assumption. I don't know. Yeah. I think it just depends on the system. And it might even be something like I've talked to a lot of teachers who say, oh, admin won't let me send a draft. Well, first, wow. if admin's not lending you send a draft, please come to me and we will figure that out and have the conversation and determine why. But two, it may be like a, a setting that they have turned off in the system because they don't want you to send a draft. So 
if you don't have the setting, don't think it's because you're not allowed to send it or you shouldn't be sending it. You absolutely should be sending a draft if you're not writing that IEP at the meeting. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. How, what are yeah. your thoughts and feelings on writing the IEP at a meeting? Is it good practice? Terrible. What What do you think is best practice there? I have never worked in a school district or a school. Now, I've done both charter school and public schools. And I've never worked in a school that has actually written the IEP at the meeting. It's very fascinating to me um, because I've never done it. I would imagine it to take a really, really long time. Right. But I imagine if you have a system and everyone comes to the IEP meeting with all of your data, everything ready to go, I feel like it would, if you had that system, it would go easily. I do think it's best practice to write the IEP at the IEP meeting because then every single person on the IEP team is responsible for writing that IEP. And it doesn't fall solely on the, the shoulders of the special education teacher, because that is who is, that's, I've always written the IEP as the special education teacher with input from the rest of the team. But we as special education teachers are not solely responsible for implementing the IEP. Everyone on the IEP team is, so they should also be helping us write that IEP. So I love the idea of writing the IEPs at the IEP meeting. I do think it's best practice. It's not, it's not happening in the majority of schools. I don't know that it ever will, but I think if it's done in the right way with a system, I think that it could be very efficient in getting it done in a collaborative way. I never really thought about the collaborative piece of that. Honestly, I used to work with someone who did. And I always, always like, oh my gosh, here I am prepared and I'm ready. And my goals have been in there for two weeks and you're writing it at the table. Like, <laughs> like so I looked at it more as the, the unprepared side of things, but I, I agree with that. It, it is a more collaborative process. And then even too, some things, you know, when we're teaching and we're talking even with math, some of those language skills that some of our students are working on, you you almost separate them sometimes. But I really think that when you have a good conversation in an IEP meeting, it is like, oh, yeah, that's why, you know, math, this area of math is so difficult because look at his receptive language scores and look at what his goal is there. And if everybody just shows up and you already have it written, then you never had a conversation about those things. So yeah, I like that idea a lot. And it's not to say that the way that I've always written IEPs and how we're all, the rest of us are writing IEPs who are writing it prior to the meeting. It's not to say that we're not doing it collaboratively. Writing it at the meeting is best practice because everybody has to be there, right? right. So they all have to help with the meeting and they have to help write the IEP. It can be done when you're writing the IEP prior to the meeting. Absolutely, you can still have that collaborative IEP process without writing it at the IEP meeting. So you can have, you can do it both ways and still have that collaborative atmosphere with your team. Do you have any ideas of how you could set up? Okay, so if we're going to write it collaboratively in this meeting. What would some tips or ideas be to speed it up? Because I know sometimes it takes hours to write an IEP, especially think of like an initial or maybe a reevaluation, something where maybe you're making some big changes. What then would speed that up 
for a team or a resource room teacher sitting in that meeting. So we're not there for three hours, but it's still collaborative and written at that time. What would you suggest? As someone who's never written the IEP at the IEP meeting and always done it prior, for me, if I started at a new school and they were like, hey, you guys, we're all going to write that IEP at the meeting. I myself would come to the IEP meeting with all of my data probably written up in a draft, like in a Word document. So like we would write our present levels ahead of time, I would come with notes already pre-written in something that I could go over. And honestly, I would probably have a conversation with the parent about that prior to that meeting um, and have a conversation. So the same conversation that I will have with a, with a family prior to an IEP meeting where I'm writing the IEP before and sending home a draft, I'm going to have that conversation still with them prior to writing the meeting, writing the IEP at the meeting. Um, but I think that would be the biggest thing for me because the present levels take so much time. That's your meat and potatoes of an IEP that drives the rest of the decisions for the IEP. So having all of that data in one place and not having to sift through work samples and all of that stuff, all of your progress data, all of the teacher input and the parent input and having it all rounded up in one place. Yes, you can still bring all of that data to the meeting, all the work samples, the input forms that are filled out, but having it already written up in a way that's cohesive and makes sense you can share it with the team and then put it into the IEP. I just think that that would make writing the IEP at the IEP meeting go a lot quicker. I agree. And then it literally could be copied and pasted over into the system that you use, but you're not sitting right. Cause I always think, okay, so for our, you know, every system is different, but for ours, we can do things ahead of time, but we cannot obviously predetermine eligibility before yep. we go. And so that's the tab that I always literally have blank and I struggle to write when everybody else is in the room because it's projected mm -hmm. on the screen. And here I am like, uh, I promise I can spell like I know <laughs> how do you word it or, you know, just th those kinds of things. And so I think, you know, it would almost take longer if you were writing it together than if I was sitting at my desk writing it on my own. So I like that idea of copying and pasting it that away or, you know, having it already typed so that you're not literally typing paragraphs describing that present level or, you know, how am I going to word this goal? What would be the best, you know, kind of thinking through that. I think it would make more sense in that way. Yeah. So. And I think, I think how it typically works from what I have been told when I've asked teachers who write IEPs this way at the meeting um, for a lot of them, it's they're writing all of our prep work for those of us that are writing it prior, they're doing that at the meeting. And then they're after the meeting, they have like, it's anywhere from five to 10 days to finalize everything and put it in like the writing, send it home and get that final copy out. So it, they still do, it's just kind of, they still do all of that work. We're doing it ahead of time, get everything finalized at the IEP meeting. They're doing all of that work together as a team and then finalizing it based off of the conversation at the IEP meeting. Wow. Isn't it so crazy how different every school, every district does that? I mean, like it literally 20 minutes down the road can be totally different than what you do, even though you're within the same state. It just blows my mind sometimes. It's fascinating, actually. Once you yep. sit and think about it, it's, it is crazy. And it, I understand why 
writing IEPs is so frustrating, even in the same district, like uh-huh. the last district that I worked in, I worked there for three and a half years, three and a half years, three, I don't even remember. And <laughs> every single year they wanted IEP goals written different, or they wanted this written differently. Like every single year there was something differently. I can't imagine moving to a different, like, I mean, and I've done it, but moving to a different school every year or moving to a different state, like it's just so different everywhere. It's, or it's even very fascinating. If you stayed in the same district, you might think, ah, I've got it. Like this will be a piece yeah. of cake because I've been doing that, you know, this school for so long. And then the shock you might even, you know, have of like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so that's not how you do it here. It yeah. would be different. What are some things that you do before a conference, say, to get ready for writing that present level, get ready to start even prepping, you know, before your 14 days of sending that home? What do you do before that? Yeah. So before you have the IEP meeting, obviously you're going to schedule it out, right? You're going to send those at least three attempts per the law to get the parent to come to the meeting and, you know, figure out that time. But aside from that, I'm really sending out all of those questionnaires. So I call them input forms, but they're really those teacher questionnaires to every teacher on the team that works with the child, sending them home to the parent. I'm sending, if the student is able to fill out or work with you to do a questionnaire, have the student do a questionnaire as well, because that information is so valuable, even at the elementary level. Yes. But doing that, and then just really gathering all of the progress data, all the evaluation data, all of the work samples, everything, having those conversations prior to writing anything in the present levels, having that conversation, then getting that input form back from the family and having the conversation of what are your long-term goals for your child? So not just this school year, but like long-term because IEPs are written for further education, employment, and independent living. So what skills do you want to work on long-term with your child and how can we fit that into this IEP now? And really just looking at the data, really just analyzing the data. How are the goals from the last year? Did we meet them? Did we not meet them? Do we need to amend them and try again? Do we need to try a different skill? Um, really just looking at that data because that's really important and writing the IEP. What do your questionnaires include? And then are those in print, digital, both? What does that look like? I've usually sent them as a printable. Um, I've never done virtual teaching. Um, so I, I do have them in a virtual format to send home because just having the availability for parents and meeting them where they are and all of that stuff. Um, but it's typically just a, a piece of paper that I print. I print it on a colored piece of paper um, so that it stands out in a backpack. And I can send an email and be like, hey, I sent home the parent questionnaire on a red piece of paper. It's typically not. Don't send it home on red. Maybe green um, <laughs> or purple. <laughs> um, but look for that questionnaire in the backpack just so it stands out. And then when it comes back and they're unpacking a backpack, you know, maybe a week and a half later, I can be like, oh, Stephanie's parents sent home the question, sent back the questionnaire. Um, but it really just includes like for the parents, it's what are your goals long-term, right? So it's asking them those questions. How do you feel about the last IEP and the progress made? What goals would you like to work on or what specific skills would you like to work on? How are things at home in terms of skills? Like, is there anything at home that you need help with that we can help you work on at school? And just really those types of questions to facilitate that 
that rapport and that bond and letting families know that they're not alone. And then when it comes to teachers, asking them, you know, what accommodations from the IEP have we been using? What have we not been using? How are the goals we're working on doing in class? Like, do we need more accommodations, modifications? Um, you know, really what's working, what's not working, what's coming up in the curriculum that we might need additional supports with or services, and just trying to get all the input that we can so that we can write that into the IEP to choose the appropriate goals, but also the appropriate supports and services, LRE and, LRE and curriculum for that child when the IEP meeting comes. I even think as a gen ed teacher, I have both, I've taught general ed and special ed, so I get both. But your goals and your needs are different. And even um, I had a student earlier this week where the teacher was like, hey, I just want to let you know, I called home. We were talking about this. It's been a little bit rough. And it wasn't behavior. It was more like he literally gives up. He won't try things that are hard. He just wants to copy for me. And as I'm weaning some of my other kids off that, I'm not doing as much, you know, like the demand is right. right. And so for me, then it's like, whoa, I literally never see that because we are only in a small group. It's only at his level. It's things that I have handpicked for him. And while yes, it's going to be slightly more difficult because it's his instructional level, not independent, it, it's still just hard for them, you know? And so I don't know. It's nice to get their feedback in that way, just to see the things that is like, oh crap, I literally never had that problem in my setting. Yeah. What's going on in your setting? Yeah. And as special education teachers, we have a lot of kids on our caseload and our duties and responsibilities are very different from what gen ed teachers duties and responsibilities are. But like you said, you know, we're not, we can't be everywhere at once. We can't be with the kiddo all day long every single day of the week. So those gen ed teachers, they're going to see more out of those kids than maybe what we would see in that small group setting. And even in self-contained, I would have kids on four different grade levels and some of them would go to inclusion independently. I would go with one student to first grade. The para would go with other students to second grade. And I would really rely on that general education teacher to be like, how's Stephanie doing in your class? Um, Because we can't be everywhere at once. So the gen ed teacher really is a golden piece of the IEP team. And I guess more recently, I'm realizing that. But before, it's like, I have great relationships with my gen ed teachers. I love them and we're friends and they would let me know. But also, too, there are things that you might overlook as a gen ed teacher that then when somebody asks, it's like, oh, well, you know, she does do that a lot. Or that is a concern. That is something we could work on, you know but you have to ask. Yeah. So after you're finished with a meeting, then what kinds of things are you doing? Maybe it's preparing for a new year with a new goal. Maybe it's getting paperwork and some of that from teachers or from parents. What are you doing after the meeting? I think one thing that's really important when it comes to fostering the collaborative IEP process, and I'm really passionate about building that strong bond between the family and the school, the teacher, really, the teacher and the parent. Um, one thing that you can do as a special education teacher after an IEP meeting doesn't have to be the next day, but two or three days later, send an email, call the parent, reach out, 
be like, hey, you've had a couple of days to sit with the IEP meeting, the results, everything that we talked about. How are you feeling? Is there anything maybe you, you want to double check? Do you want to change something? Maybe it's not sitting well with you now. Or maybe now that you're thinking about it, you would like some training in this and we can write that into the IEP for you. Or maybe you thought about this one IEP goal and you were like, I would love to work on that at home with Stephanie. What can you provide for me? And it's like asking the general education teacher, you know, for their input. If we don't ask the parents after the meeting, we're never going to know. And they may feel like, I don't want to ask because I don't want to bother or I'm just overthinking this. Or they may feel ashamed or disappointed in themselves that they didn't understand all the verbiage and yeah. the jargon. It just really lets the parent know that you care and you're there for them and you really want their child to succeed if you're reaching out after the meeting just to say, hey, how are you feeling about everything? Is there anything I can clarify? Anything you need help with? Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that you can do aside from making sure everybody has a copy of the IEP and that the IEP is in the student's CUME folder and that you have all their progress monitoring. Um, I make like binder ring cards for each of my kids that you have all of that ready and um, the paras know what IEP goals are coming so they can help collect data and all of those things that we just inherently do as teachers. Um, but really, you know, just reaching out to the family and seeing what they need help with or what you can clarify. I really love that. And it is one more thing to add to the to-do list, one more thing to add to that timeline. But imagine how valuable that would be. Think of when you go to the doctor or something and you walk out and you think of three questions you should have asked or you yeah. know, something like that. You're like, I'm gonna have to Google that word because I just don't know what that meant. You know, it's the same thing. And if your doctor called you, three days later or one week later to ask, I do think that would mean something. I would be like, oh my gosh, she really cares about me yeah. or she really wants to make sure I understood that. So imagine how that would feel from a teacher perspective, you know, getting a call from a teacher like, hey, I just want to make sure things were okay. I think that would be incredibly yeah. valuable, whether it was a great IEP meeting and these are the most easy to work with parents or that parent that you're like, oh gosh, it's that one. You know, I think it would yeah. just help really yeah. build a good relationship. And then next year they know it's okay to ask Stephanie this question because she's so easy to work with. She's so wonderful. She cares about what we're doing. I think it just, it's it all comes back to that open communication and the parents who seem overactive in their advocacy or they're quick to shout due process. Um, it really just shows them that you're there for their kid and like you want to work with them. And I think that, and this is a whole other topic, but I don't know that all parents realize that we as teachers, we walk a very fine line between keeping our jobs <laughs> and wanting to shout in the IEP meeting. No, you can't do that school right. district. You have to give them this support. Um, so I think just reaching out kind of lets them know a little bit, like I am here, I care. I'm doing the best that I can with what I'm given. Um, and I'm here to fight on your team with you as much and as best as possible as I can. And, you know, we're literally all working towards the same goal. We all want that child to be successful. And sometimes the gen ed teacher thinks differently than what we might think or the parent or the admin or, or whatever. And it is a fine line. So I think it's good to to have that follow up call. And I think would mean a lot to them. Yeah. I was also thinking earlier, too, you know. 
we all sometimes have like those dumb questions that we don't want to ask in front of everybody else where it's like, oh man, I, yeah. they're going to think I am just, you know, it would be nice yeah. to have that where it could be like, well, actually I was wondering, and maybe they would care about that. Or even the questions is like, oh, she's so busy. I'm not going to bother her, but you're reaching out. So they're willing to ask those. So I, that is absolutely a wonderful idea. I think I'm stealing that one because I do think it's one more thing, but it would mean so much. And it doesn't even have to be a phone call. You could really have just an email that you, I hate to say copy and paste because copy and paste and edit to make personalized. That's the full phrase, (laughs) not copy and paste, copy and paste and personalized to send out. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything robust. It just, it's the little things that truly mean the most. Yeah. I, I love that. That's really, really wonderful. I even have a lot of kids, you know, my third graders, I have had them since they were in kindergarten. And so some of my kids, their parents and I text on a regular basis too. So even Mm -hmm. like that would be okay. Or even would it be okay? Or if you had any questions, I was going to call after school today would now be a good time or the, you know, those kinds of things that you could totally start it through text and be like, Hey, I just want to follow up, make sure things were good, that kind of thing. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And then too, it's not like, Hey, I'm calling because you haven't returned that envelope yet. Remember, I sent that home and I needed that, you know, like (laughs) also if that was an issue, it could also be like, Hey, I was just following up and and that kind of thing. I love that. Um, Another question that I have for you is more about paperwork and organization. So obviously as a special ed teacher, I think I've asked nearly all podcast guests this because everybody does it differently. And it's such a critical piece of what we do So how do you stay organized with the ins and outs of paperwork? Yeah. So one thing that I do, and I mentioned this earlier, was when I was talking about sending home the questionnaires and putting it on a colored piece of paper. I put all of the different, so the teacher questionnaire that goes out might be purple, but then the parent questionnaire might be orange. And then the nurse form might be green. So all of these different forms and different pieces of important paper that need to be in a child's folder I have them all, I color code my folders, honestly, is what I do. And then beyond that, I keep student IEP binders for each of my students. And the students don't put anything in it. It's really more for me. And those are also color coded. (laughs) Color coding your classroom is just a game changer. So each of my students in my classroom will have a color. So Stephanie might be orange, and then Jackson might be blue. So like, the blue pencil case is Jackson. Those are Jackson's pencils. And then the orange pencil case, Stephanie's, those are Stephanie's pencils. So that I visually know if I go grab the orange binder off the shelf, that's going to be Stephanie's. And inside that binder, her IEP binder is going to be a copy of all her progress notes that I've sent home, probably a copy of her IEP just to have one on hand because I'm very paper pencil. And you never know when the system is not going to work that day and you need it. And then I split it up into, depending on if you're working in semesters or quarters or however you're doing it, I've always worked in marking periods. So I will have a marking period. I just use those plastic page sleeves and I'll have one for each marking period. And then I'll just keep putting in uh, work samples inside there so that I have four page sleeves and each one has work samples and I can tell when we did them. So if I have to pull lesson plans, I know when they came from. 
Um, and then I'll keep any notes in there from families or anything else that's really important to that child inside of that um, IEP binder. And that really keeps me organized for all of my students and making sure that I have data and work samples. And that's also great too, when you have like, if a parent comes in at the end of the day and you didn't know they were coming in and admins like, uh, Mrs. D, Stephanie's parents are here. And oh, you're like, crap. all right, let me just grab <laughs> yeah. my orange yeah. binder and I have everything ready to go. It just makes it so much easier and you don't have to be like, okay, like, let me grab all these papers. Let me print this out for her. Let me, let me pull all her stuff. Let me block all these names out. Like it's already all done. It's already in her binder and I can just grab it and go. So then in your binder, do you also then put the parent surveys, the teacher surveys, all of those things, like when they come in, is that where they go? They go into, I'm, I'm very old school paper pencil. I love me a good file folder system. So they just honestly go into the child's file folder that I have for my own students in my classroom. And that way I can just pull their file folder to go to the IEP meeting, pull their binder, and I'm ready to go. That's perfect. I have almost like what you have in your binders. That's what I have in a file folder for me. That's yeah. where yeah. all those things go. You know, I collected this data. Let's throw it in there. But I, I like the idea of a binder and I love me some color coding. So it's great. <laughs> great. For me, everything that is purple goes to the meeting. I have a purple folder for each student, a purple clipboard for meeting notes and you know, like then what else is purple? Oh, my purple mouse and that, you know, my laptop and my mouse goes. And so it's like those things I know, like I got, I've got it. I'm ready for the meeting. So I really like that idea of also having their binder. That way you do have some work samples. Cause I, I'm not good about keeping all of their work samples or, or relevant ones I might keep, but yeah, but I'm sure you have more because even just the space to put it in a binder. Yeah. And then at the end of the school year, so especially when you teach self-contained or resource, when you teach multiple levels, you have students year over year. Right. So at the end of a school year, when I'm cleaning everything out, I just take all those work samples, put them in a file folder and keep them for the next year. So that when we have the next IEP meeting, I can be like, this is what we were doing last year. Here's where we are this year. And then when they move either to another school, if they're going from elementary to middle school, I'll send those work samples with. If it's something where they went to a different district and they're requesting everything, I can just send their folder over. Um, and it just makes it really easy for transferring all of that data, that really important IP data with that child. Do you have any books or podcasts or resources to help teachers, especially think new teachers? How did we ever get started? That's oftentimes what I wonder, like how I didn't know what I was doing. Do you have any tools or resources that new teachers might check out? Yeah. So I will admit I have been that teacher that has been like, oh my gosh, where do I start? I have 60 kids on my caseload and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it happen. Um, I have been there and I have worked through all of that. <laughs> I know that feeling very, very well, which is why I built the Intentional IEP and also the Intentional IEP Writing Program. So my program teaches you and walks you through how to write an IEP, but not just that. It also teaches you the basics of the federal law, so the IDEA law, and why certain parts of an IEP have to be in it, and what should be in that IEP based on this. So that is honestly like, I love that. I wish it is something that all teachers had in college or all teachers had like at districts just teaches them how to write an IEP because I never had that training. And 
I, again, I, I love surveying teachers to see like what's going on out in the world. And it was like 67% of special education teachers have never been taught formally how to write an IEP. Um, so I was like, I love writing IEPs and I'm, I love, I'm such a nerd. I love reading the law and learning like what has to be in the IEPs. I love data. I love dissecting it and I love helping other teachers. So that's where the intentional IEP writing program came from. But then beyond writing the IEP, you also have the implementation of the IEP, which is a whole other animal to tackle, right? So that's where the intentional IEP came from. That is a membership that I have that you can join. It gives you access to an IEP goal bank, but also it gives you access to additional printables that are related to IEPs, whether that be to keep you organized, whether it's a questionnaire to send out. And it also gives you access to different trainings from guest speakers every month inside of the membership. So whether that is a different way to collect data, or it's a different way to collaborate with outside service providers, or maybe it's just what are the different symbol systems out there? I know of BoardMaker, but like, I really don't like how that looks. What options do I have? Um, we have trainings on that as well. So it's really just the whole package between the two of writing IEPs and implementing them. Um, but beyond that, I can send you a link to my favorite books that you can buy on Amazon for special ed teachers. Um, anything by rights law is just hands down. Amazing. The all about IEPs book by Peter Wright. It is like my favorite. It is the first one that I recommend to parents and to teachers. So Definitely anything by rights law is really good too. Uh, I don't know where to start. You are like, <laughs> seriously, how do we get this in the hands of literally every first year teacher and then the others who might think they know what they're doing and don't? Like, seriously, we don't know all the things. We're just thrown in. And if we haven't had our hands slapped for it, we think it's okay. And then 10 years later, yeah. it's like, well, that's just the way I've always done it. And so, oh my gosh how amazing and wonderful that you're doing this to give teachers the confidence to get started, know you're doing it right, understand all the lingo. Um, I, I know coursework varies from state to state for like licensure and stuff, but I had six classes for special education in order to teach it. That's it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like the most, they were terrible classes, like terrible. <laughs> One in particular was for assistive technology, which not that assistive technology is bad. No, not at all. But yeah. My license is for mild intervention. Okay. Yeah. Where our assistive technology was things like, you know, communication devices and things for, you know, students who are deaf and hard hearing. That's not my license. So not that I'm never going to have to deal with students like that, but it's like of all the things that is the, one of the six classes that you think is the most important. <laughs> Teach me, you know, yeah. you know, it's like if that were the case, you would have a speech and language pathologist who's helping with some of those things. And, you know, the deaf and hard hearing teacher who would be helping, you know, so it's like that's the stupidest class to have for a mild intervention license, you know. Something like Yeah, you see those mostly with higher support yes, needs students, the AAC yes, devices. That's what I think. Yeah. Or or yes, I could see if it were, you know, maybe more for more intense, like moderate to severe. It's severe. I could see that one hundred percent. So it's not a slam on the topic. It's more like I've literally never used those things 
or <laughs> I had to be the expert. I had to know how to set that up or know those things. So it just was terrible, honestly. And so something yeah. like this would have been so much more practical. Well, here, I'll give you a little preview as to something that I teach inside of intentional IEP writing. So according to the IDEA law, now please don't be like, oh my gosh, she's going to spew law. This is boring. I'm out. <laughs> like, I promise it'll be quick. It's super interesting. Actually, it's very fascinating. So according to IDEA law, you only have to write objectives under IEP goals for students that are on alternate, alter, alternative assessment or alternate assessment. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah. So... I didn't know that either. And I was like, but I've always written objectives right. for all of my kids. Like every school that I've ever worked for, we've always had objectives. And only in the self-contained setting did I have students on the alternate assessment. Right. But here, in the reauthorization of IDEA, the United States Department of Education came out and said, uh, states, you have the option to make the amendment here to say, if you want your teachers to write objectives for your IEP goals, you can. So that's why we have objectives under IEP goals, because the states can give us that directive. Even if they don't have the alternate assessment, they still can have objectives under their IEP goals. Wow. I'm trying to think on ours. I almost feel like if I do not put objectives, I can't click to the next tab. Uh, really? I will have to play. And so maybe Indiana is a state that has made it so that we have to, I, you know, I don't know, but I'm pretty certain that I, like, I can't leave that blank. You've got to put something, yeah. you know. I think that most states do objectives, but it's really cool. So within intentional IEP writing, this is just an example of this. I teach you why there are certain things, like why we have to write objectives, because these are the laws. This is what it says. Yeah. And you don't have to dig through all of the laws. You don't have to go Googling. Like I'm going to teach you all of that in there. And it is something that I wish that I had had in college. Um, and it's just those little things where you're like, man, like I feel like a badass right now because I know this. And like, if my admin ever comes at me in a district meeting and is like, no objectives, I'm going to be like, yes, there are. Because in Pennsylvania state law here in the education department, it says this, like things like that, yeah. like where we have this knowledge and I teach this knowledge and I'm so passionate about teachers knowing just the basics of the law and why we have these different parts of these IEPs. Because then when it comes to the IEP meeting and the districts are like, we don't have the budget for that, or we can't do it this way. You can be like, well, actually the law says this. And if you don't want to lose your job, you can kind of loophole, tell the parents and the parents can then work through it. Um, because you're going to have that collaborative process with the parent. You're going to have that positive rapport. So just little things like that. That's amazing. How many teachers do not know things such as that? Like that's I didn't know it before I learned it. And I was like, I need to share this with the world. Like, this is amazing. I agree. <laughs> I'm so glad that you are. Wow. Well, okay. My last question for you is so much. It's the opposite of what we just shared. It's lighthearted. Okay. So. Do you have an embarrassing teacher story? <laughs> I do actually. <laughs> and it's not, it's not so much embarrassing as it is just one of those things where some teachers are going to be like, yeah, that happened to me actually too. Um, so it was when I was teaching, it was my first year teaching in a self-contained classroom in Texas. And one of my students went to the resource classroom and the teacher walks back with him to the class at the end. And usually he did not need the supports to walk to, to and from class. So she came back with him and I was like, 
yeah, like what's going on? <laughs> and she was like, well, uh, the student pooped in the urinal today. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I was just like, how, like logistically we tried to figure out via conversation, the teacher and I, how that would happen, how it would happen. I don't know how <laughs> that would happen, how, I don't know if there were no stalls open and the student really had to use the bathroom. Like he, the student didn't get in trouble. It, 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 he made it into the bathroom and into a urinal. Like, yes. yes. But that is just one of those stories where <laughs> I just will never forget it. <laughs> and like the awkwardness of the, like, is this happening? Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Now your episode we're I'm recording these all at once, like, you know, in within a month or so, but they'll be batched. And so yours will be one of the later ones. And I swear. So listeners, when they hear me saying this, they're going to be like, why are these all about poop or farts or something like <laughs> everybody's embarrassing story has something to do with like poop or fart or something like, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. I'm so glad I can continue. You can that continue it. Now there episode. are a few outliers or I had one who's like, I, I just don't have anything, which is fine. Like, but I feel like we all have something that just, you were mortified in the moment and we all have it. So I just thought it would be funny to share, but, um, wow. <laughs> wow. Pooping in the urinal. Yeah, we did it. We Oh, wow. I, I mean, I guess too, we probably all had these moments too, where it's like, I gotta go. Like uh, I will go anywhere as long as I can get somewhere. So maybe that was the moment he was having. Like I, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Oh man. <laughs> I'll never know. <laughs> we may not want to know really. I don't want to know. No. <laughs> so let's wrap up and I would love it if you would share how can my listeners find you and then what will they find whenever they get there, whether it be social media, the internet, where will they find you and what will they see there? Yeah. So if you are looking for all things IEPs, you just want IEP help, whether it's writing IEPs or implementation, you can go to theintentionaliep.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at theintentionaliep. If you're looking for more classroom resources for elementary age students, you're looking for blog posts of how to do things, how to set up your classroom, all of those things, you can find me at mrsdscorner.com. Also, Mrs. D's Corner, um, at Mrs. D's Corner on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you. I think they will love checking you out. I'm sure many already follow you. Um, I have for years, honestly, because it's like, I've followed you for yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. Like you just share valuable, valuable things. And I love what you're doing with the intentional IEP. I think all Thank teachers you. need that. So definitely listeners will be checking you out. And I thank you so much for being here tonight. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.